in a podcast where two people talk to one other person about starting a magazine, environmental issues, and social media, among other things. On today's episode, we have Alex Mulcahy, founder and editor of Philadelphia's sustainability magazine, Grid Philly, and we talk about so many interesting things. Um, we get a lot into sustainability, of course, and making a career out of sustainability, interesting things of the ins and outs of running a magazine of any kind, like how you find topics and subjects and all of that good stuff. Um, Alex's journey on the path of sustainability, lots of words of wisdom here. And um, Alex was a joy and a delight to speak with. And uh, stay tuned to the very end where he gives us uh, his run through of how of the appropriate way to outro a guest because as you guys know if you have ever stayed to the end of an episode we love our awkward endings and uh, he was here to make us a bit more professional so thanks Alex it should also be noted that the audio was being interfered with by our cell phones no this was I mean we turned off our cell phones so we f we recorded this interview at Alex's office of Grid Philly which is in downtown Philadelphia like the epicenter of Philadelphia. And I really noticed it like while we were recording, especially, um, I mean, like I was looking at my phone for some of the questions or whatever. And anytime I brought my phone remotely near us, it sounded crazy. And, um, and then I turned my phone onto airplane mode and like that type of sound stopped, but there was still these other sounds throughout the episode. It's not, it's still good audio. It's a good interview. Like, I don't think you're going to be bothered by it, but it's certainly noticeable. And it made me paranoid. I told Trevor about it after the fact being like, dude, this was so weird. Like I've never heard audio interference like this before. And it definitely seemed like it was from technol technological interference it was weird the 5g network dun 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 coming to kill you all in your sleep without further ado alex mulcahy occasionally interesting occasionally interesting they are occasionally interesting. Um, almost a year. Not, not too long. I was there last summer. Love it's amazing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's the best decision we ever made. Really? Yes. Well. <laughs> well. Second best today. <laughs> just got well, engaged. Well, getting... oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Calling them getting engaged. <laughs> we were just checking out the, the grid issue on sustainable weddings in the area. Yeah. Yes, this is already it's becoming been a, struggle, actually, a but, hot button uh, issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the perfect time to push yeah. my mental hey, We should flip the mics on. This, yeah. is, this is interesting stuff for sure. Definitely. No, I mean, that's uh, you don't have to do. I'm yeah. just saying, like, no, we we're like on. to. That's, uh, there we go. <laughs> should I get close to the mic? Yeah. Um, right, have you been recording? Yes. Oh, okay. So is it happening, right? Is we this just, the podcast? We just edit out whatever uh, doesn't doesn't sound too great in the beginning. Gotcha. We like the the casual flow from. I think that's knows. when the when the podcast magic it's happens yeah, exactly. yeah. in the casual. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, the wedding. It's almost like it is just one of those moments where your sustainability ideals are put on trial. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, for some people, well, if you're interested in sustainability, food is going to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes if you're like, if you're a vegan or something like that, then people, they feel like you're being aggressive. Yes. This is exactly the conversation. I mean, some of the, some of the things like the outdoor venue and that type of stuff so like all right no complaints but then i'm like i would really like to do a vegetarian menu mm-hmm. uh, we're not vegetarian um but we eat meat pretty minimally we definitely are fairly plant-based and just in terms of not even pushing my animal agenda at all just the environmental impact of serving whatever 75 to 100 people multiple portions of multiple types of meat like that's that's such a big impact mm-hmm. and it makes me very sad to be the person making that decision being like, yeah, no problem. Because I think it's an excellent opportunity if you found the right caterer at least to show people that they can have a fulfilling meal without meat. And, that, you know, you're kind of missing out on opportunity if you take that advice. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I trick him all the time into going into vegan vegetarian restaurants. And usually he doesn't notice unless there's something that's, you know, very big saying vegan or whatever on the menu. Right. But there's so, you know, yeah, there's so many incredible things to do where it's not just like, I think people who don't eat generally plant-based or to, who don't consider themselves as doing such, imagine a plant-based menu as essentially a lettuce leaf, maybe some Maybe some tofu. <laughs> like. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, um, food is so personal and um, and it's always it's one of those things. I I'm not a vegetarian. I was someone who only ate fish for a number of years. And um, uh, I grew up in northeast Pennsylvania. And that was uh, a friend of mine who um, actually a guy who works here. Uh, has been a vegetarian forever, and he, he said in uh, in Wilkesbury, uh, Pizza Hut is a vegetarian restaurant. <laughs> like that's what, and there would be many times where he would things like you know he'd order pasta and he'd want a marinara sauce and he'd get a meat sauce yeah. and be like, no, there's no meat. It's just you know meat sauce. <laughs> so um, so yeah, it's uh, it's tough, and you know I think, and there are just there are all these different things like your ring. What are you going to do? Is it no ring? Is it going to be a tattoo? Is it going to be an ethically mined? Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, I forget the name of the company, the Canadian company. Um, Brilliant, Brilliant Earth? Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you'll know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and there's actually somebody locally who, uh, who uh, there are a couple, couple companies locally that, that do uh, ethically sourced rings. And, um, or do you do no ring at all? You know, it's it's really, uh, uh, and I think the thing, one of the things that I had the hardest time with was presence, because like I like didn't want people to give us anything, because mm-hmm. the what what you get are a lot of home things that you might already have, might already have, or don't necessarily need. Right. Like maybe maybe you do need that big mixer. You know, maybe you maybe you make bread all the time. Hopefully, you do. We do. It's a it's a major running theme of our podcast. It's a hashtag Trevor bakes bread. <laughs> there you go. So, but but, like a bread. but we have no supplies. He makes bread with his hands yeah. and an oven, and that's the end of the story. Just mm-hmm. flour, water, yeast, hands, Salt. oven. Salt. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, um, uh, but I, you know, I remember, I remember saying that we didn't want presents and then like through my, uh, my close family, like, you know, my aunt would go to my mom and say, what does he really want? Yeah. What is it? You know what? He must want something. What does he want? And, um, uh, it just shows you how ingrained these habits are. Absolutely. Whether it's eating meat or, um, or, or giving a gift. Uh, it's like we are just believing that like consumerism is the way to show your love or appreciation. Like exactly. And exactly. That there's no other path that you need this physical thing to, mm-hmm. uh, to represent your, your love, uh, for someone. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's tough. I mean, what do you guys do holiday season? How, how, how do you guys do gift giving? Uh, I make him a scrapbook every year oh, that's of, awesome. of the year. And that's, uh-huh. that's pretty much the gift. And he says, thank you. That's his <laughs> gift. That's pretty much how it goes. That's pretty much how it goes. Yeah. I like to think that we give each other gifts constantly yeah. throughout the year with our love and appreciation of one another. Yes, I agree entirely. Beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Said with a smile. <laughs> yes. I certainly never feel lacking in either yeah, giving or receiving. But certainly if there is an object or something that we would like to give each other we don't think oh let me save this up until the appropriate allotted date on the Mm -hmm. calendar we just say hey i thought of you here you go see that's that's great for you too how about the rest of the family oh the rest of the family i mean yeah this is something that i've cared about for a very long time and been a huge advocate of buy nothing day Mm -hmm. like try yeah for a very long time that for those listening buy nothing day is the sustainable alternative to black friday uh it encourages not going out and spending all of this money but rather keeping on the feelings of thanksgiving and uh staying at home and cultivating continuing to continuing to cultivate gratitude from leftover from thanksgiving and spend time with your family and, and not not rush out to the stores and forget what thanksgiving's all about um See, I have to admit that where where I fall short of this idea is where my nephews, nephews and yeah. now newborn niece is concerned. But we mm-hmm. still, yeah, we give them physical things, but for the most part, we are I've trying to give them like five years fairly sustainably for him to be old things. enough for my oldest nephew to be old enough to give a, a little mini drone to. <laughs> I've been fantasizing about playing with cool, more grown up toys for the last. <laughs> Five years, my brother beat me to the punch. Though oh, the words about that, but it's a whole separate issue. But for example, yeah, we were traveling. Tough. We were traveling around Nepal this past um, October, November, and that's where we did all of our Christmas shopping. And the we we toured uh, some fair trade establishments. We got to see like really how how everything gets made and meet the people making it. And that's where we got all all of our gifts for our family members this year who were getting physical gifts. So, you know. I, but in general, I definitely prefer. I, I still will often give gifts at pre-set dates, but I try to either have it be something like an event, so an experience mm-hmm. rather than a tangible object, or something that I made, whether that be cookies or like a pillow that I sewed or something like that. But yeah, I think I think there's lots of ways around it to still be within what society says here's how you be nice and loving and also not totally get rid of all of your ideals absolutely i mean i think the event thing is a big 
that's a big uh, positive option. And and um, and then you actually need to make time to spend with somebody, and and that's really a, that's a nice thing. It's yeah. it's much more memorable. But the place where I struggle, I've got uh, a six year old son and a three year old daughter, and then I've got three uh, siblings, two of whom uh, had kids before I did. So um, so they have, first of all, they gave us a lot of hand-me-down stuff, which mm-hmm. is great, great for clothes. I swear, I've, you know, I don't know if we spent $50 on clothes for our six-year-old. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's been great. Um, but, um, you know, as you as you might imagine, like we try to avoid the the uh, plastic battery operated toys, but we wind up getting them anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, and we have one uh, one relative I won't name in the uh, unlikely uh, <laughs> <laughs> chance they listen to this, but um, but uh, they I won't even give gender away. They uh, are they have very different. Uh, ideas about what makes for a good toy. Of course. Uh, so they think that big is good for a toy, uh, not necessarily so for someone who's living in a narrow row home in <laughs> West Philly. And um, big and loud. And it's like it's almost comical that uh, if you get a, if even if she gets, oops, they get a uh, coloring book. It's like three feet by five feet. <laughs> yeah. it's like gigantic so um are you sure they're not just doing this to fuck with you a little bit <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure that it's i mean that's just that's just her style she's just like a very gregarious and um generous uh person mm-hmm. but um yeah it's uh it's tough it's tough with the kids because you you have you have these ideals, and then the rest of the world has uh, has their expectations, and like navigating that is uh, is really hard. And we've found it difficult with kids uh, with uh, with food too, because my um, people people have different feelings about candy and stuff than we do. And like, I don't want uh, our kids to be monkish. Like I want them to have these things, but like I don't want them to have this easy access to it. And um, uh, and mostly, it, you know, it's sort of like the erosion, and um, I, you know, and that's I think that's the best that I can do without like without being hostile and aggressive to the people in my family, and um, and it's just sort of like you think, well, you know, you visit them how many times a year for how many days um it's not the end of the world if they if they have you know, junk food all day for two days um but uh and, and then you have them the majority of the time so that's that's the example that you're setting but um but it's tricky and i've had to i feel like i've had to uh let go of a lot you know yeah. like um you kind of, uh, well, I, you know, I think this is true with sustainability in general, that you sort of, you have these 
you have these ideals, like these things that you think are right. You're sure that they're right. And then, um, and then you see other people blithely ignoring them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I feel like there was a time when every SUV I saw go down the street made me grit my teeth. And um, it's not a pleasant way to navigate the world. And um, understanding, first of all, understanding the purpose of those vehicles, like why people have them. Um, and then also that it's not only, um, it's not only, it's, it's not only something that is tolerated, but it's encouraged, you know, buying these mammoth cars. It's like, that's, they're being pounded with messages all the time and, um, they're big and they're comfortable and they do a lot. So like understanding like, oh, there's an appeal to this. Uh, I think that's. Um, I think that's important for your own personal happiness. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, cultivating an attitude of compassion and optimism as an environmentalist is what has enabled me to stay as an environmentalist, like mm-hmm. as my as the main thing I am in my life. I mean, it's, I've, I've always it's always been some part of my career. It's always been some part of my personal life and it's been like that since I was a very young kid and definitely I think if I opted for an attitude of you know being like well you know that guy's not doing what I'm doing like either what's the point or being Mm -hmm. really angry at him I would be a miserable person and probably wouldn't be able to do all the things that I do Um, I think this is a very important lesson further than just environmental impact i mean i think that today is with the polarization of our society it's really important to understand other people's perspectives and realize that they're not they're generally not doing their their actions to be evil because they don't see situations the way that you see them uh i think that that we're we're being trained to think that is the case and it's really it doesn't help anything Mm -hmm. you need to get past that you need to understand why they're doing what they're doing in order to so that you can live your life without pulling your hair out first and foremost and also not get discouraged and sort of be the change that you want to see in the world and continue on your goals and missions and hope that they'll see that and come over to your side. So I think that's really the best way to change people's minds is to do what you know is right and through your prosperity that comes from those actions, when other people see that, they'll be like, maybe, maybe I don't need this SUV. Maybe I don't need all that meat maybe i maybe that maybe there are ways better Mm -hmm. yeah i do think that the the best uh the best advertisement for those kind of uh lifestyle changes are um just being happy you know i think that that is that's a that's a great way to and i mean there are there are all sorts of studies that show how your behaviors change other people's behaviors. And, um, you know, it's like the best way to get other people to, um, other cyclists to stop for stoplights is to stop yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it can go, it can go either way. It's like if, uh, if somebody in the office gets divorced, then there's like often a, uh, plague of divorces. <laughs> um, people are like, Oh, I could do that. <laughs> um, new cars, uh, uh, so it can go, it can go either way. So that's why I think it's really important to, um, 
and exercise. Like, I don't know. Um, when, when I've hung around with people who have uh, bad habits, I have worse habits for sure. Totally. You know? And um, I think surrounding yourself with the type of person that you actually want to be is a good way to uh, become that person. And, um, and then, and then um, being, being the example. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, um, it's like, I, I believe that, but at the same time, I also uh, am feeling regularly uh, despair and um, I know the the UN study that came out a week or so ago that a million species are in jeopardy of extinction. A million. That's insane. It's unfathomable. It yeah. is unfathomable. Uh, I, and um, uh, and what needs to be done is uh, immediate and profound and of such a large scale. And how uh, how how can that happen? Well, I think you know what you're doing with your life, your career, is an amazing example of how that can happen. You started this magazine that shows individual action at a local level and is a source of inspiration and mind-opening material that lets other people see. Oh, my neighbor's doing this. Maybe I could do this too. Or like, wait that's an option. I didn't even know that this was either a problem or that there was a solution. And yeah, just having something that is somewhat small scale, but I'm sure, I mean, it's reaching people in pretty profound numbers and probably reaching people in ways that you'll never get to know in a, in a good way. Thank <laughs> you. Um, that's, I mean, that, that is, that's definitely the goal uh, of grid is to, um, to connect people and um, uh, really cool. This, this past issue, I don't know if you picked it up. It's uh, it's our maker issue, and um, and uh, the guy who's on the cover, he's a he's a drummer. He makes his own uh, makes his own drum kits. Cool. And um, they're beautiful. Yeah, they are beautiful, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And uh, and and so, so it's a it's actually a series of stories. I think it's five or six different artists who um, all make their own instruments. Um, at uh, at NextFab at the NextFab Makerspaces in Philadelphia, and um, one great story. Since this is a podcast and we can take our time, yeah, uh, it is uh, one of the, the one of the uh, makers makes his own didgeridoo. Oh, nice! And he uh, the story is that he got into it. Uh, he was having sleep apnea issues, so he went to the doctor, and his doctor said people who play the didgeridoo don't have sleep. So that it was like a health thing that prompted him to. Um, is this a real statistic, or that doctor was like, "I wonder what I can get people to do." I mean, you know, uh, apparently there is this subgroup of didgeridoo players who have sleep apnea. Who the fuck it? So anyway, he got into it and he learned how to play, and uh, now he um, he gets trees locally that have um, that are dead, but haven't uh fallen yet so it's a very specific tree that he's looking for and these are massive instruments um 
anyway, he's one of the six artists uh, that are in this issue. And, ah, yes, the reason I was bringing this up is the drummer who was on the cover picked it up. And he said, um, he said, oh, I, I had never seen your magazine before. And um, I didn't know about the Bicycle Coalition. I read the column um, uh, Bike Talk by Randy DeBasso and, uh, and tell him that I'm going to join and I'm, I'm really interested. And it's like there are, I, I just think that there is this, these shared values that people have and, um, and there have been kind of siloed communities of people who are into food or people who are into renewable energy or bicycling. And, um, and they may, they, you know, I feel that they are actually interested in all of those things. If you're interested in one, odds are good that you're, you're interested in all of them and making those connections, hopefully builds a, a stronger community and that hopefully turns into into change on a on a city level totally and then state level and country level and mm-hmm. world level yeah <laughs> top of the world so how do you how do you find <clears throat> people for i mean what's the sustainability slash magazine process do you come up with an idea and then search the city for people who fit the description or do you meet someone and then they're sometimes uh sometimes both of those things sometimes it's like okay uh we really should do something on solar what's a what's a good solar story let's do some research and a lot of times um we're we'll be looking for a national trend and see how that's playing out locally oh cool and then uh sometimes it's uh it's news related and um uh, like we did a big story on recycling here in Philadelphia a few months ago, and um, and that was that was driven by uh, something that was going on that Philadelphia had stopped recycling fifty uh, percent of its material and was sending it to a uh, an incinerator um, because of uh, a contract that had expired. Um, uh, I mean, the very short version is they had a they had a uh, they had a decent contract which expired. They didn't negotiate before it did, and then the worldwide market for recyclables has changed dramatically, and um, so uh, municipalities don't have a place an easy place to send them like they did. Meaning China, China, the easy yes, place. the easy place to recycle, uh, and. So all of a sudden, instead of uh, recycling being a, an asset, it became a liability. So, um, so the point of our story was that um, our city was woefully unprepared for for this. That um, they had a that they don't have a recycling director. They hadn't had a recycling director, and um, you know the person who was. Uh, who was the, not the director, but the head of the department left um, uh, six months before the uh, contract expired. They didn't have, and, and I say department, but they don't actually have a recycling department. It's part of this, it's part of the streets uh, department. And um, uh, so it's like, it's not, there aren't, there isn't a focused staff on recycling. And that's, uh, that's a big problem. Uh, they've since signed a, a new contract and um, 
they're back to 100% recycling, but there's still, I think, some uh, some some serious issues that need to get addressed. Um, you know, with with education, with contamination, um, and uh, it's really it's not it's not the priority I think it should be. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a news one, and then sometimes it's like uh, a writer will say, "Oh." Uh, have you ever done anything on chocolate that's being produced locally? You know, here's a bean to bar and like here, you know, these are, these are different people doing different things with chocolate. Um, that sounds like a very exciting issue to Yeah, that's, research, that's right? the next one. That'll be fun. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a combination of, um, of us looking for stories and then, and then a lot of times people who are, um, people who are worthwhile subjects introduce themselves. They're like, uh, uh, you know, here's what I do. Hey, here's, you know, they don't have publicists or PR. And, um, and uh, a lot of times, you, you know, it's, it's like they identify with the magazine and they introduce themselves. Um, and, uh, so people find you too. Um, so it's a it's a it's a combination or a mixture of those things. And uh, when I started it in two thousand eight, um, I I worried that we wouldn't have enough stories. Huh. I you know I was like okay we're gonna do we're gonna do something on the white dog cafe. And we're going to do something on the uh, ECA, the Energy Coordinating Agency. And man, I hope we have something to do in issue two or three. <laughs> but now it's like we don't have enough pages. Yeah. Well, you know? don't you feel like the entire landscape of sustainability has changed in this area since 2008? Absolutely. It's it has. amazing. I, I first left Philadelphia in 2008 as I had been a vegetarian for 11 years at that point, And it was like, uh, I mean, just so frustrated with absolutely everything. I mean, I was this big environmentalist and I was such an outcast. Like there was no, there was no one else. No one else was a vegetarian. No one else cared about the environment. No one else was campaigning for this stuff or trying to raise awareness. I was such a weirdo. And then I moved to Ithaca, New York. And I was like, oh my God, I've, I've you found your people. before. Yeah. Yes, it was amazing. Yeah. But, uh, then I came back, you know, to visit my parents and, and suddenly the like as more and more time passed, the more appealing it kept becoming to come back. Like all of these restaurants that cared about local food and offering vegetarian options and all kinds of stuff started opening. There started being more farmers markets, more stores to, dedicated to only sourcing sustainable products and all of these nonprofits and other things just popping up being like, oh, now we care. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's been amazing to watch Philadelphia totally transform in the last 10 years. It's like completely different than the place where I grew up. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't go to a decent restaurant and not have uh, uh, a, a an appealing vegetarian option. Yeah, totally. You know? That just doesn't... It doesn't exist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, the city... The city now caters to vegetarians and um, people of all kinds of alternative diets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, I mean, 
you guys know Judy Wicks, probably, maybe not. So she's the founder of the White Dog Cafe, and she is she's a huge um, uh, is idol too strong inspiration. <laughs> she's she's like she's someone who really inspired me. Um, her her story is she had this uh, um, this restaurant in West Philly, and um, she started reading about the uh, inhumane treatment of pigs mm-hmm. and she immediately took all pork products off her menu and said awesome. we, yeah we can't we're not going to serve um we're not going to serve pork products until we find an ethical way to to do that so she started making connections with the local farms and um before long she was sourcing all of her food locally and um and it was very successful um, but then she did the next thing, which is to found uh, a nonprofit called Fair Food, which then shared all of the contacts that she had made and tried to connect other restaurants uh, with with those farmers. So it was, uh, you know, I think of her as the Alice Waters of the East Coast, and she's done more than that too. She also founded the uh, Sustainable Business Network here in Philly. And um, and then the national, the parent group of the Sustainable Business Network called Bali, the Business Alliance for a Local Living Economy. So she's a she's a fascinating woman, and uh, in fact, this is her memoir right here. Good oh, morning, nice. beautiful business. <laughs> uh, it's a great read. And um, why do you have a stack of them? Well, because we are giving them. We had a, we had a, a bunch of extras that I had. Uh, Judy signed, and we're giving them away to people who subscribe to Grid. And um, uh, she—it's also like she, she's a very colorful person. Um, she uh, was married to the guy who started uh, Urban Outfitters. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow, what a Philly power couple! I did believe. not know that. Yeah. So she, and in fact, their original store was called the Free People. Well, and now Free People is a... Now it's a sub-brand sub, yeah. of his. But it's it's a story of these two idealists who um, splintered. And one went the way of mass production. Yeah. And one went the way of, uh, of small scale. Wow. So, I did not realize that. That's crazy. These yeah. are like people growing up in Philly. You hear, you hear about they're definitely major Philly celebrities. Yeah. Like she... Like they, I used to go they, and just, they lived in Chestnut Hill, right, right near us. Who the Urban Outfitters? I mean, I think them originally, because I know it was like I yeah, I don't know no. if she did because she was in West Philly, okay. and I think he went. <laughs> he off. went to Chestnut Hill yeah. when when, when he, the going got good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, um, I forget what I was going to say, but um, yeah, super super colorful charismatic person i was going to say when i when i was like first thinking about doing grid i would like i would hang around the cafe it also had the uh, black black dog gift shop and it had all these great books in it and um uh and i remember i remember going to um was it lesbian in it um something that i knew she would be at and like nervously like stalking like my moment just to go up and tell Judy I'm going to start a magazine 
And, uh, and she said, good, somebody needs to tell them the truth. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. And she, so she's, uh, yeah, she's someone who I greatly admire and, uh, uh, and, and sometimes it's sort of like, you know, I've, I've developed a relationship with her, but every once in a while I'm looking across and I'm like, whoa, that's Judy Wicks. I'm talking to Judy Wicks. So, um, yeah, she's, she's been, she's been great. And, um, and we're doing the subscription drive. So, um, so everybody in Philadelphia run to the website, gridphilly.com. I didn't think I'd do a plug, but that's what you're supposed <laughs> no, to do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We love plugs. So, um, yeah, we don't have any more of these books for now. So you just have to buy them independently, subscribe to Good Philly, and then also go and buy Judy's book. And then book. go buy <laughs> Judy's book. You'll, you, won't, you won't regret it. What is the creation story of Grid from conception to execution? Uh, well, so I've been publishing a long time. And um, music started with music magazines for independent record stores. So um, kind of, oh, here's one right here from way back in the day. You may recognize from Portland, India. Wow. Uh, Slater Kenny, when is this from? 2002. Wow. Um, yeah, this is this is old school right here. Um, so these were uh, magazines that you could get at independent record stores. First, the, the Gallery Sound one that this magazine is. Uh, it was in northeast Pennsylvania where I'm from. And um, but we eventually began doing them for uh, uh, independent record chains across the country, and uh, it was a great time to be in the business. Everybody was buying CDs; <laughs> they were replacing their record collections with CDs, um, and uh, um, uh, that's that's how I cut my teeth in in publishing. And then, um, what can I say? I just, I started reading a lot of sustainability books and I felt very strongly that there should be something that is talking about them on a local level. And, um, and again, kind of like what you were saying before, like this isn't something that's going to happen one day. It's something that's happening right now. So um, uh, to try to make it immediate, and local and um, uh, accessible. Like I, I wanted to make it um, just something very, very positive that uh, that people could uh, um, latch on to. And um, so, uh, and you know, I, I make magazines. So the, my concern manifested itself in the thing that I knew how to do. So, um, so that was that was the the birth of grid and um yeah, it was 2008 and uh um coincided with a financial crisis you might remember not a great time to launch a new product <laughs> um but at the same time it was i felt like it was because i felt like the recession was a an uh an advertisement for the um tenuous nature of our economy um so so yeah it was it was a lot of walking around because there wasn't really um there wasn't really anything like it exactly so it was you know i'm doing a sustainability magazine what's that so so 
first I made a prototype, and so you could make footprints. Oh, here's this is about uh, biking. This is about green building. This is about uh, a farmer, and just kind of giving people like this is this is how it all holds together, and um, and uh, much much to my surprise and delight, uh, it, there was an overwhelmingly positive response to it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was the, the things that were going on. Um, I, you know, I wasn't the only one reading these books. Uh, so like Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma, like I feel like that was a critical book in the latest phase of the local food movement. And, um, I don't know the numbers, but I, I think it sold a few hundred thousand books. Like that was, a, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that was a popular book. So, um, so yeah, it was the right, it was the right time for it. Um, and um, and here we are, uh, eleven years later, or so. I think it was September 2008. We put out the the prototype, and then we started publishing monthly in February of 2009. So, um, depending on how old or young we want to say we are, we can use those different points. So, um, so yeah, that's the, uh, that is the story of, you mentioned how positive it is. I think that was one of the things that uh, was immediately apparent to me was, you know, especially when you like read the news today, a lot of it's not very positive and it's really was refreshing to hear a lot of these stories told from, uh, optimistic perspective uh it was really nice from my time going through your articles yeah that's that is definitely uh um that is by design because um because it's i, f I feel like the negative side that uh that we were talking about before it's crippling uh, it's paralyzing right you can't do anything um but, uh, but I mean, what's been really cool for me is I've learned a lot and I've met a lot of these, uh, these very positive, smart, creative, clever people. Like that's, that's what, um, for me, it's been like, uh, uh, and, and again, it's like, it just keeps happening. Like these amazing people keep appearing and um and it's it's fun to to tell their stories and um in fact a while ago a couple of years ago we did uh we did a talk show it was a lot it was called grid alive oh. and um it was it was uh, um it was set up it was set up as a as a, in a talk show format so it was um me and my friend nick esposito who's the head of the um, department of zero I'm messing up zero litter and waste um, but at the time he he was not doing that and so we co-hosted and we'd come out and do like kind of a, a, you know what we thought was a funny shtick to start you know like a little five ten minute introduction and then we would have um, three different guests who we would interview for 10 to 15 minutes and then we'd have a band play and, um, and it was super fun. And, uh, and I really felt like as, as, as hard as we try with print 
to capture the essence of these amazing people, there's really something to hearing them tell their stories themselves. So, um, so that's why I was asking about your equipment because I think it's time we finally uh, broke into the into the podcast world. Yeah, it, you know, it's, uh, it's a cool world to be in. Uh, you've been doing it since February, is yeah. that right? And well, we've been recording since last August, I think, but we officially launched in February. It was a, it was a learning process for sure. Cool. We, what what tips do you have for me? Um, what what are these fancy I mics mean, here? If you if you get if you if you're gonna do anything on Skype, just pony up to buy official computer recording equipment instead of trying to do a free workaround. That's my number one. Gotcha. Okay. That's why uh, we we lost our first like eight episodes because I was like ah, I can figure it out. No, I, it didn't work. <laughs> um, what number? What number is this one? Uh, in terms of what we've we've the last episode we released was episode fourteen, um, mm. but we have a couple back recorded. I think we'll probably. Yeah, probably done around thirty now. But again, like eight of those are lost forever. And and how many? How often do you put them out? Weekly. Weekly. Okay. Yeah, and there's a there's benchmarks you want to hit and stay in order to keep your standing in terms of iTunes search results and whatnot. Um, the holy grail is to get on new new and noteworthy, which. I think you have a much better chance of doing than us oh, <laughs> because you already please. have an established <laughs> I doubt it. audience. Um, and uh, are there millions of dollars in this? Is this going to, will I finally get that yacht I've always wanted? <laughs> we certainly, we hope that's coming. No, um, you know, we, uh, we try every episode to remind people if they're going to shop with Amazon, shop, shop with us on Amazon. <laughs> this is our only, we don't do any advertising at this moment in time i don't know if we will the only way in which we're trying to remotely compensate for all of this is uh yeah we have an amazon an affiliate, affiliate link yeah gotcha okay so that's um but again i'm sure you it, you it would it would behoove you to have advertisers i'm sure many of your existing advertiser advertisers through grid would love to be part of the podcast game i hope so yeah, that would be nice so i should give you guys some things some uh so judy wick's book is called good morning beautiful business that would be available on Amazon. Um, <laughs> and there was another book. Oh, shoot. I turned my phone off. And I don't think I have it over there. Mike Burns Lee, I think his name is. We can correct that later. And it's called, uh, oh, man, Handbook for the Something Planet, I think. But, uh, I remember the. The tagline was uh, uh, an Alexa for those trying to live sustainability. It's like these short, um, these these deep questions with concise answers. I love that. Yeah, and um, it's like Michael Pollan's food rules. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's like it's so it's all of these questions about you know these daily things that you do. What should I do? You know, should I should I eat meat or not eat meat? And here's what the what the numbers say. Um, and um that sounds awesome it does yeah Trevor likes to be convinced by numbers more than uh more analytical yeah yeah well and um but what the the thing so i haven't read the book yet so i can't speak authoritative i don't know the title i'm not sure the author's name i haven't read it but, but here it's great, i am guys. yes go by you it. please um but uh the um one of the things that he talks about is uh that a lot of people want to make this economic 
they want to say like uh, you should insulate your home because you'll save money that there has to be this uh, self-interest mm-hmm. and um, and he he disputes that he says that we have to if we don't have the goal of uh, maintaining and protecting the environment we're not we're not going to get it so um, so there's a lot of numbers but then there's also this philosophical um, uh, you know I, I think central point and I think that 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 makes that idea makes a lot of people uncomfortable that um, that we may have to give up things that make us um, things that uh, you know things that make us comfortable and and and, and uh, make our life very uh, plush well I think that there is an immediate argument to be had that it's the things that we have been led to believe make us comfortable when in reality and statistically it's often the opposite of what's making us comfortable like you know the convenience of fast food being eaten alone in your car all of these things are correlated to your untimely death your uh unending loneliness uh all kinds of things it's yes the price of so-called convenience is so much higher than a whatever dollar ninety nine Happy Meal. Or I don't. I obviously don't eat at McDonald's. I don't know what things cost. <laughs> I think it's a pretty fascinating debate. I mean, I tend to like numbers, and 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 economic solutions appeal to me. Our the previous guest that we had on uh, talked about the carbon bill. Carbon bill. Do you remember oh. the full name? Uh, not important, but it's taxing carbon at the source, and then it trickles down, and then you, you get it. It's 2019 carbon bill. 2019 is definitely in there. Oh. <laughs> we'll have it in the footnotes. Yeah. Um, but I I agree with the author of this book, which will also be in the footnotes. Uh, that that's not the of a lasting solution. I, when you have a system of commerce that's built upon consumerism that falls apart if there isn't ever-growing consumerism there's no possible way without a financial crisis to really change those attitudes without something more fundamental shifting Mm -hmm. and that's scary for a lot of people but it's inevitable it's either going to happen one way or another and that's a little bit large and a little bit bleak of an of of an (laughs) opinion you know Combined with an ever-growing population that's increasing exponentially, it's like, you know, it's great to talk about a lot of solutions, but those two things seem sort of like rigid in, in anything ever changing anytime soon we're to the point where we're not even speaking about those, what are to me realities. And I find that discouraging, not, mm-hmm. to, not to go too dark with the podcast, mm-hmm. but... I'd love to hear what he has to say about, you know, can you convince people? And if you do convince people without changing the underlying system, what would happen? You know, if we all stopped buying 50% of the crap that we don't need, what would happen to our economy? Mm-hmm. Probably nothing good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the, the economic argument um, is, uh, is uh, I think, undercut by um, 
the if you if you save money doing something, you spend it somewhere else, and that inevitably is going to uh, require carbon, because everything does. And um, and uh, you know there was a recent article saying that uh, that it would be environmentally devastating if everybody had solar panels because of all the uh, mining that would need to be done. And there has to be this combination of things where we uh, we use less energy and then the energy we produce is, is uh, less damaging. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we have to... We have to we have to reel it in, and you know I don't know. I mean I, I know what I would do if I were a dictator, <laughs> and I often think about those things. Um, I walk down the street and I think, uh, nail salon, you would be closed. Sorry, you're just closed. You're full of toxins and uh, plastics, and you're done. And um, those well, sort there of, are like four sustainable nail salons in Philadelphia. That's true. That's they true. Water based, fair trade ingredients and focus on educating and, and Absolutely. You are right. Um and um but that just goes to show you what a lousy dictator I would be. <laughs> it would be uh, but I mean there's so many um there's so much there's so much waste and um I, you know, I don't know I don't know where to begin with that, and um, except you know, try to. But you know, we're just we're regularly we regularly have these things that are designed to enhance our lives paraded in front of us, mm-hmm. and it's um, again supposedly enhance our lives. Supposedly <laughs> enhance our lives, but you know, back to the comfort thing. It's like I think of like air conditioning. And how do you how do you convince people that they that they shouldn't use air conditioning? Um, yeah, it's like it's I I used to be uh, I've changed my tune since living in Thailand in the summer. I, I used to be like this is I have lived in New York City, Chicago, like all these places in the in the dead of summer without an air conditioner, and I was fine. And you know, and but now in Thailand, I'm like I I literally. For three hours in the middle of the day, I can't. I have to cuddle my air conditioning unit in order to stay alive. It's brutal, huh? <laughs> it's a, well, not too yeah. often. I mean, most of the year it's perfect and beautiful and wonderful. But yeah, there's a there's two months there where it's it's pretty pretty rough, smoky and hot. But I think that's part of the you know there we we have a tendency to look for industrialized solutions to industrialized creative problems and, and also look for black and white solutions. Yeah. And, and that's not the way forward. It's to do what we've been talking about, individual action, create these little microcosms of, of things that work in your immediate environment. You know, sometimes maybe you do need some air conditioning for three hours in the day in Thailand where that maybe not might be necessary in some in Maine. Right. You know? And I think the thing isn't just about, yeah, saying the only solution is to 100% give up your air conditioner, no exceptions, is to say, why don't you start by, you know, raising it at a couple degrees why don't you, and then like the following week, why don't you use it for one hour less a day and take it from there and see 
does this completely ruin your life? I mean, just, just small incremental changes on a personal level can lead to a worldwide revolution. <laughs> I like it. Let's um, do it. Yeah, woo, let's do it. I also want to address um, this, this author saying, you know, not everything needs to be coming from this economic uh, reward system. And I think that there's really something to that. Um, we've recently been reading a book sort of on like psychology and sustainability. And it talks a lot about uh, this gorilla experiment and, and then and then humans um, doing puzzles. And when they were doing puzzles just for the hell of it, that there was all of these reward systems. They were so motivated to like internal reward systems, so motivated to do something just for the hell of it, their enjoyment levels, their satisfaction, all of these uh, intrinsic values of feeling competent and a part of something were were all being hit but then when a reward was offered for the same task all of that went away they became only reward motivated but all of the satisfaction and feelings of competence all of that stuff completely was gone it was no longer a pleasurable experience they were no longer doing something just for the hell of it they were doing it for that reward and to have that reward, you know, um, and I think I think that there's a lot to be said for sustainability and generally in arguments of of not saying, you know, here's the reward you get or the punishment you get or anything, but just be trying to cater to that for the hell of it intrinsic value system that we all have. And I mean, think about it like work in America and and many other places around the world. Like if your goal for work is to to be rewarded by buying that SUV, you take away that intrinsic value of, of exercising your creativity, hopefully exercising your creativity through work. And I mean, it just creates this paradigm that's pretty hard to escape, but so psychologically damaging. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I moved to Thailand. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I have more to say about what you're talking about, but I'm curious, why did you guys move to Thailand? What was it... Uh, of uh, all the places in the world that we love Thai there. food. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> a good start. And it is a very strong motivating factor for Thailand. Mm-hmm. Both I, of us love Thai food. Yeah, we uh, we heard about Chiang Mai as just like the very best digital nomad city to start out. Like anybody trying to make this major shift, that Chiang Mai city in northern Thailand is the number one place where everybody from around the world was going to kind of make these major life changes because it was an easy place to get. Cheap food, short, cheap, good quality rent, an existing community of other crazy people doing the same thing, um, and very safe. And uh, yeah, I don't think we like ever. Good internet. It wasn't like we were comparing. Yeah, great internet, way like better than America. Um, We weren't ever comparing countries or anything. It was just kind of like neither of us entirely remember the origin story. We get asked all the time, and we should. Make great one answer. Up. Yeah, we should yeah. definitely make one up. Um, but it's it certainly kind of always... was spurred on by reading the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. That's the uh, the digital nomads Bible of like, yeah, maybe there is something wrong with working sixty hours a week. And at the same time as reading that, we were also getting interested in natural building, and uh, we had been traveling the world a bit to learn about different natural building methods in different places, and then we really got interested in the idea of building with bamboo and all of the amazing things that bamboo can do. We were like, hey, Thailand seems cool. They got bamboo They've there. They've got bamboo. <laughs> They've got all sorts of delicious food. Yep. They've got the internet. 
Exactly. But then also Boom. I was laid off from my uh, corporate America job and, uh, and then and I started clinicals for nursing school, which are awful. Oh, really? So, so I kept on being like, hey, how about you don't make yourself miserable for the next two years and let's go on an adventure. And if you still want to make yourself miserable after, you know, six months of trying a different lifestyle, we can come back and you can get back in nursing school. No, no harm, no foul. You got you got two <laughs> semesters to change your mind without any uh, consequences. You can always go and, back. Uh, right. Exactly. And he was like, OK, <laughs> we do not intend to go back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We absolutely recommend. Well, you know, it's a. Uh, uh, back to the so back back to the economy and what's valued and being rewarded and doing things for just the good of doing them I, I think one of the one of the things that we could do in general that would transform the economy is if it were more about caring uh, caring for one another it's uh, uh, doing things that don't that revolve around food and health i mean we could use we could use more farmers we could use more chefs we could use more dietitians um and we could use more personal trainers uh we've got we've got all these uh major health issues in this country and what if we made that a priority um we have existing buildings that could be made tighter and um I mean, there's there's no shortage of of work that needs to be done, and it doesn't always have to produce something um, something new. So, um, uh, you know, right now, caring for people in our in our country is not well compensated. Uh, if you're a stay at home mom, it's very poorly compensated. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, if you take care of very rich people, um, then if you're personal trainers for wealthy people, you can make money, but, um, but how we, couldn't we rejigger the system to, um, to have a workforce that revolved around people's health? I think that was, we were having a couple of conversations that all sort of led to Thailand. And one of them was, we were talking, we had, you know, just been started we really got into serious in our relationship we'd started talking about our different philosophies about raising children one thing that had always troubled me is when i read a statistic that like people who have kids wind up being less happy on a moment-to-moment -moment basis you know, they're, they're they are more fulfilled and they're all the other positive but that they tend to be statistically less happy than people who don't have children i think that's just like one of the most depressing things i've ever heard it should be the you know the most fulfilling and, and exciting and you know, and not that you have to be happy all the time, but still, I think we can make a system that makes that better. Um, and so we, we both sort of went on this exploration of what that could look like and what it should look like, keeping environmental concerns in mind, keeping just how often people should work in mind. I mean, who came up with this 40-hour work week? She was working at a company that... You have to come in nine to five and do work. They might only take you three hours, but then you have to like do stuff the rest of the time to to keep the higher ups off your back. Like because you can't even do more than what they were asking because then that's not allowed either. I mean, it's just craziness. Mm -hmm. So all these concepts were kind of coming together. Plus, we watched a great documentary that uh, 
organization that eventually failed in Oregon, <laughs> wild, wild country. So we were kind of all seeing all these pieces come together, combined with the earth and building. And we really love the idea of in the future building a community that's sustainable, that has a, a health aspect to it. Um, so that and like a centralized business that you can sort of donate a very small portion of your time towards that generates enough income to do like the basic needs for the community. So you can still do your own work. You can still do whatever you want. But, you know, you know, that there's like a family meal time, you know, that there's like certain activities that you can always be a part of that are totally free. That doesn't make you need to, to work X amount of hours a week and has a community based approach to things like child care. And and because I, you have two kids, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I spend a couple hours with my nephews and I'm so exhausted. <laughs> like, I can't imagine what it would be like with two people, let alone a single parent, let alone, I mean, I, there seems to be, there has to be a, 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 a different way to do it. And hopefully that way's better. And that was one of the reasons why we really got serious about the earth and building. It was like, well, let's go figure out how to, how to build this. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is it, the, the way our economy is set up inevitably makes, uh, child rearing as a couple challenging um, and that's because part of it is because there isn't part-time work as a rule that you're well compensated for there are exceptions obviously there are people who are consultants who make lots of money but um, but to have a to have a good job with benefits you don't get that at, at 25 hours and you know I know what my wife and I would both like was to work 20 or 25 hours a week and take turns with the kids. Um, but that's, that's not the way it has been. And, um, uh, the, uh, she has been home with the kids, but now, um, it's likely that she'll go back to work full time. And that's just the, the economic reality. And, um, you know, we're, we're happy that we've gone this far, uh, our oldest is in kindergarten and our youngest is uh, three and a half. So, you know, maybe maybe it'll happen in six months or something like that, but that's not it. And, you know, the, I, the what you're talking about with the kids, it's like you, it's the joy versus happiness. And um, it's, uh, it is a, it's a slog. Um, it's a, it's 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 a it's a lot of work. It is so much fun. It is so much fun. My kids crack me up every day. Aww. It's uh it's the best. But um, but yeah, it's you know you have to work uh, a certain number of hours, and then then you have to get dinner together, and then you have to um, clean up. And um, <clears throat> this isn't uh, you know news news breaking uh observations but it's just like it's a ton of work and um yeah my brother was uh watching the watching uh, our kids last night we were out for a couple hours which is not something we do very often either um and uh and he was just like whoa this is hard <laughs> this is hard um but yeah i think i think a lot of people are they're looking for alternatives 
to that, um, you know, one or two people working for a corporation that demands the 40 hours and often more. Often, you know, at five o'clock, you know, you're at your job, you think it's time to go home and nobody moves. And you're like, oh, I can't be the first person to leave. And then you're getting texts at uh, 11 o'clock at night that people expect you to respond to immediately. So um, that's a whole other thing too. The, the, uh, the connectivity, like I've got, I, that's, that's something that I deal with um, or try to deal with because I find myself looking at my phone all the time like so many people. So like I try to turn my phone off when I get home and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But, um, you know, I feel like that's, that's another thing too. It's like this perpetual distraction that ultimately leads to more consumption. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's tough to step out of that. I mean, there's... Actually, I, I did get rid of my cell phone for about, uh, I think it was about eight or nine months. Oh. Wow. Yeah. What year was that? Yeah. Um, that would have been 2012, 11, 2011. It was great. <laughs> I loved it. I you know, I used to live in Old City and work here in Chinatown, so it was, uh, you know, it was like a you know, less than a mile walk. But I just loved leaving for work and thinking nobody can get me now. <laughs> I am off the leash, uh, and um, and it was it was somewhat inconvenient. Like if um, if I would go to just say a baseball game or something like that, I would give my wife my friend's cell phone number if she needed me. And eventually it was, uh, my wife was expecting, you know, in a week or so. And I went out to, I went out to do something and I thought, you know, it really would be bad if she couldn't get in touch with me. So I got it right before he was born. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was great. But, you know, some people, um, there was uh, at least one coworker who thought I was a kook. You know, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, like it's, it's irresponsible and it's embarrassing. It's like, you're supposed to be leading this company and people can't get in touch with you. So there's like this huge societal pressure. pressure. Yeah, yeah. That's, those are some intense words. Yeah. But in reality, yeah. What, what kind of catastrophe would require on the spot immediate action? I mean. You know, having a baby—that's a good, a great example. Yeah, I think that's right. pretty Seems much like the only one. You know, but in reality, almost nothing in our lives really demands that instantaneous of a response. Yeah, I'm for, I'm so fascinated with this phenomenon, just at the psychological level of being like, is it? I mean, it's got to be that people really need to feel some thing of importance of whatever their job may be, whether it is something that actually gives them value, or if it's working, you know fast food or at the corporate job that you don't give a shit about but to act like everything needs immediate attention and is dire and the world will end if right. you are not on your cell phone immediately responding to these emails i mean i think that has to be feeding into some larger picture scenario of of your of your significance on the world in the world so that you know in the grand scheme of things you're convincing death that you're indisposable if you respond to this email like really fast yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's it is uh, it's it's very much like 
you feel important if you know if you have to stop what you're doing at 10 o'clock at night to respond to something like obviously your work must be very important um and i think the other thing too when you talk about cheating death it's uh when i when i talked about getting rid of it people would say well what if what if something happened to your kids and and my answer is well if something happens to my kids i want them to call a doctor yeah <laughs> like you know and and we didn't have these things for forever you know these are what 15 16 years old mm-hmm. and um you know they people used to just call call you at work and like if you were out to lunch somebody would come find you you know what i mean like there's not um there there is this illusion that you are casting this this you know safety net around your kids because you have a cell phone but like that's not the that's not the case yeah you know it was certainly the argument I used when I was in middle school to convince my parents that I needed a cell phone. Ah, <laughs> like, but what smart. if I die when I'm outside? <laughs> right, and I need and to call you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, my mom was like, if, if you die, then uh, why your friend will call us. They have, they have a cell phone. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. They'll let us know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, I think about that. I lived in uh, New York City for two years before getting a smartphone i still had whatever little thing that was capable of like pretty much just texting Mm -hmm. but i can't imagine like what a totally different experience that would be if i didn't have the what i think of as the quintessential new york experience of meeting strangers and asking people on the street how to get to places or where to find things and just like i mean i feel my my time living in new york was totally marked by all of the friends I made on the streets, like yeah. just just being like, excuse me, where can I find some black thread at 11 p.m.? <laughs> like, yeah. And being like, oh, we're actually heading in a direction. Why don't you walk with us for the next 10 blocks and we'll take you to the thread, one place that's going to have thread. And uh, in the meantime, we'll get to know each other's life stories. And Absolutely. what a beautiful time in life that was. I think one of the things that made me really start to think about the the advantages of being able to disconnect was Bernie Sanders in the last campaign cycle when he was talking about mandatory vacation time. And, you know, we, we mandatory paternity time was not even really a thing. And I think his arguments for, you know, if you want to claim family values, you should start by giving families enough time off of work to go be with one another. And I thought that was such a powerful underutilized argument that was like, this makes the most sense out of anything that I've heard yet. Like, <laughs> and then you extrapolate on that idea of like, well, what does it really mean to donate all of your time to work? And, and what's the marginal cost there is, is a pretty powerful question that's so easy to ignore. Um, <laughs> too much of a campaign. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was, a, that was a pivotal moment for me in terms of, uh, how to think about these kinds of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I just think, it, I mean, it comes back to time. How do you spend your time? You don't have that much. And it's like, what are the, what are the things that I want to do every day that I don't get to do? Um, and that's like, how could, you know, if I, if I were able to leave at two thirty instead of five and like, I have a pretty, I have flexibility, so like I'm I'm fortunate. But um, uh, you know, what if my what if my work day were nine to two? That'd be amazing. 
that would be, I mean, the things, the habits that I um, have on the list that I want to, that I want to do, like, and how much easier it would be to get dinner together, together, the two of us. Uh, I mean, that would be, um, that would be awesome. So um, good luck on your, uh, your quest Thank you. to get there. You know, that's, that's the dream. We'll invite you to join our comedy well, when gonna, it's up and running. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to invite myself earlier because <laughs> that, that sounds pretty good. And uh, what was the, the four-hour work week? I don't know that one. Four-hour work oh, week yeah. Tim Ferriss. considered the it's digital nomad's read. Bible. It's definitely it's – a, it's, a, it's more like a techie – it's definitely not sustainability or like hippie values focused, but I think it ends up kind of getting to the same conclusions but from a very different perspective that's more palatable to the average – Male. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all about and it, it has a very strong time component of like how are you spending your time and, and, and is that how you should be? And it does take a very numbers approach to it. Like, you know, if you lived in Thailand, then if you made if you worked a fraction of what you work now, you could have a lifestyle that was more in line with what you truly desire. Mm-hmm. And then and then change also what you desire because what your desires may not be what's making you the most happy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crucial. It feeds all these crucial kind of components of maybe you should examine how you live into. Man, it sort of does helps to have the opportunity to take a giant sidestep out of the system to actually see the system that you're in. Because there are so many things that we we thought we were like had good perspectives and but then when we totally removed ourselves and took a look at it from a third party perspective we were like oh my god look at all these things we didn't realize i'm sure we're still in many of them but you know that, that reminds me of a an old school old school book it's like the cheapskates bible it's called your money or your life i like it and um it's really it it really it dissects our relationship to money and it talks about money as, as life power. Like you're trading your life power for money. And so it's all of these, all these ways to save money. And, um, uh, it's a, it's a, a fascinating book. There are parts of it that, you know, he kind of, uh, becomes a, a sponger of sorts where he's like, go live with someone else. And, you know, that's great. If you're the, if you're the person who's uh, uh, attaching yourself like a barnacle to another ship, but um, not so good for the ship. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's more, it's more like sort of how you can beat the system in some ways. But, but I think that there's, there's, there's wisdom in there. It's a funny book. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting book that I think you can take some wisdom from, but there are other parts that, <laughs> so that's probably the case with any book for any individual. Mm-hmm. Take what fits you. Do you want to ask her? All right. What is the most unrealistic thing you believe in? Oh my goodness. Oh, you you said you I didn't have to prepare for this. <laughs> Let's well we want to catch you on the spot. Yeah. Um Oh boy. Um, 
I can edit out all of your thinking time. That's so. no, I think this builds the drama. <laughs> the, the readers are gonna want to hear me hemming and hawing. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I um, I think the, the the first thing that comes to mind is about uh, six or seven years ago, almost exactly coinciding. Well, it's not true. A little bit after that. Uh, with the birth of my son, I uh, stumbled into Buddhism and um, uh, but I mean when you talk about what I what I believe which is realistic is that if everybody meditated, the world would be a would absolutely be a better place. I think that is. We say that on like almost every podcast episode. Yeah. Seems to be a reoccurring thing. <clears throat> I, I totally, totally believe that. Everybody would be happier and more chill and, you know, people wouldn't be perfect, but um, but things would be better. So, um, so I don't think that's an unrealistic thing. And then as for like the belief system itself, uh, I go to a, uh, there's a Tibetan Buddhist center in uh, Fishtown. And uh, there's a teacher there who actually um, uh, worked with the Dalai Lama. So, um, yeah, he's a he's an artist. He does the sand paintings. Mandalas. The sand mandalas. Yeah, yeah. he was uh, among the first people in the United States to to do them. I mean, he's he's Tibetan, but the first time that they were done was at the uh, uh, Museum of Natural History in New York, and he one of the monks who did them so he's very he's an accomplished artist and he's just uh he's a he's a he's a great guy um but you know the well maybe i, I won't delve into i'm not sure about yeah you know we'll, we'll just sidestep <laughs> uh basically so what's what's the unrealistic thing i believe um that it will happen that people will meditate that there will be that love will prevail and we'll do good things and um uh it'll be i don't know what the event is going to be that will make us change but there will be huge change i believe it I, you know i think that i think that i think that we can change i think a lot of us are crossing our fingers hoping that event isn't <laughs> catastrophic yeah, yeah. Well, have you read michael pollan's new book how to change your mind no no i was unaware of that completely oh this is this is a game changer it came out last year 2018 i believe um it's a it's it's all about psychedelic research and psychedelics and mindfulness and uh -huh. it's particularly a foray into uh, uh promoting guided psychedelic trips particularly in middle age like that's Ultimately. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he sort of alluded to his interest in psychedelics and other books. Um, that's cool. Yeah. It started. What was the article that kind of started this off? There was an expose. Like he wrote a really lengthy article for the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and then soon thereafter, the book came out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to have somebody that is such a powerhouse. And someone who's such a palatable figure to hear this type of radical information, you know, like a, a middle-aged northeastern white dude who, uh, you know, has a career and a family and a 
Ludi blah de blah. He's like, hey guys, mushrooms are pretty cool. That's the game changer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'll have to check that out. I always feel like he's he's like uh one or two steps ahead of me. You know what I mean? Like uh <laughs> like I yeah. I or he's like a someone who leads me to that next step. Absolutely. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Um thank you for that tip. <laughs> I will uh I'll uh, immediately get some mushrooms. <laughs> Change my mind. Yeah. Does he talk about meditation? Yeah, I mean it's all about it's all about the combination of of these things of of mindfulness practices, um psychedelic trips, spiritual experiences and the convergence of all three and how they're all yeah, pretty intrinsically related, but also them as their own um entities. Mhm. Yeah, love to hear your thoughts on it. So if you do read it, get back to us. Yeah, I'll have I will. a second podcast interview. Of all sure. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> I will, yeah, I will definitely. Uh, um, is that something of interest to uh, do? You talk about that on your podcast? Yes, quite a bit. Yeah. Do we you? Okay. Do you uh, listen to episode number three with Dr. Prash? He's one of um, Australia's leading researchers on the convergence of psychedelics and mental health. I'm also trying to get out our so business are you, card. Are you pulling uh, mushrooms out of your yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We brought I you a present. That'd be pretty cool. Cool. No, that would make are. for an interesting podcast. <laughs> our business card, which, which I think is uh, That is amazing. Wow. The mushroom trip in and of itself. Now yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That is trippy. Um, Thank you. These are awesome. You noticed our, our super cool jackets. I did see the... Oh, that's so cool. That is amazing. Matching... <laughs> awesome jackets um, anyway yeah definitely definitely recommend uh, his book and also he's done a few podcast interviews on the topic that are that are pretty awesome yeah i mean i've i've done some reading about the uh about you know i feel like in the new yorker some some guided uh psychedelic experiences especially for people who have mental illness mm -hmm. And uh, how that can be like a, a major life-changing event. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, particularly uh, addiction. There's very promising research. Uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. All these ones. Yeah. Depression. We talk about pissing off the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're seeing statistics uh, now that there's more and more research um, to do with psychedelics and mental health springing up around the whole world. Statistically, it is being exponentially more effective than whatever the next method is it's mm -hmm. it's wild a single dose of single high dose of ketamine can bring people out of like catatonically depressed states for longer than three months which you you just can't get that kind of statistics anywhere else and it's wild that it's taken so long to the, the fda actually just approved a nasal spray of that hmm. It's pretty. They're they're starting to gain a little traction. Yeah, and I, and I think Colorado voted, I think this week or um, about legalizing psychedelic mushrooms. Like oh, same. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And Oregon had something to to put it on the ballot. I think last month they they were determining whether or not it was going to be on the ballot for the next election cycle. So there's a there's some exciting there's no things happening. Yeah, and yeah. once it starts, it'll just you know it'll eventually get everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's it's very cool to be having it come more into the mainstream of people talking about it as a way to open and change your mind and 
connect to the collective unconscious rather than to, you know, just be tripping out and being like, yo, man, there's a whatever in the tree or, you know, <laughs> to really to really change the public opinion of of what it is to have a psychedelic trip and have that be, you know, an intelligent, guided, intentional experience rather than something irresponsible right. and rather than tripping your face off yeah or show or something. <laughs> yeah. not to say there's anything wrong with that right either, right but. no judgment no judgment <laughs> but yeah you should check out our podcast i recommend it we, yeah yeah <laughs> we talked to some very we talked to some interesting people on on this topic and there's a lot of different interesting things but i will definitely check it out get schooled on the psychedelics <laughs> That's a good segue into if there was one behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be? I th- I, did I? Uh, I think I answered that with the meditation. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, now I'm tempted to think of something snarky with to stop <laughs> doing. Um, but uh, I mean, and I'd like to start with myself with the meditation. Like, I just I have failed to set up a regular practice and it's and i know have you tried any of the apps no um, are we still paying for headspace yeah well we we, also have failed a bit at yeah institutionalizing but we have we're going to be attending a public uh or not public we're going to be going to classes we have set up classes daily upon our or five days a week when we return to thailand oh, um great. but headspace is great we bought a yearly subscription it expires this month but um waking <laughs> up with sam harris that's oh, uh yeah, yeah. have you heard of sam harris, I know sam harris He's one, yeah. definitely one of our favorite podcasters and I, and we've only done minimal uh exploration into his meditation app but we've heard incredible reviews and we definitely want to give it a bit more of a proper go mm-hmm. but i think you know whatever whatever gets you there and also whatever you want to call meditation at least to start your trip like or i mean your journey into meditation if you uh uh if that's you know taking half an hour to do a watercolor picture of a flower right 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 like it doesn't have to be sitting in a room alone with your eyes closed in an uncomfortable position and trying to concentrate on your breath like yeah, I mean, I think that there are meditative acts that you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, one that I talked about in the uh, in the editor's notes that I wrote this month is about so so um, grid has grid is in a financially tenuous place, and so we have been appealing to our readers to subscribe and. Um, and it's been really good. We've had a lot of oh, readers. Nice. Yeah, it's been great. And um, but what I have been doing is writing thank you notes to everybody who subscribes. That's wonderful. And it uh, it has been like a transformative experience for me. So I, I would I would say that that's like a uh, a meditative thing because you know I get this list and I, I think I have a list in here somewhere on the hill here. This is my this is my list of people who I have to uh, and like to look at this the, uh, you know this this little uh, uh, spreadsheet and just think like oh um, you know Heather Hill she 
she is giving us $5 a month. This is a free magazine. And it's like, what a nice thing for her to do. Like, that is an amazingly nice thing to do. And, you know, I know some, some of these people are my friends or people who I've worked with through the years, too. And it's like, it's, it's kind of like it's a wonderful life moment where you're like, oh, wow, people really, people are just really nice and they really care. Um, so like that, I feel like is a, you know, it's no electronics, pen and paper. And then people are like, I've gotten these great, uh, sometimes emails back about, you know, I was blown away. I got a thank you note. I can't believe it. You hand yeah. wrote a thank you note. And it's like the power of that just very small act. And it doesn't take that much longer than writing an email. Totally. Um, so that's, so maybe that's the action that I would, uh, I encourage everybody to do and like even if uh, you know eventually I get to all the subscribers I, I really think a great way to um, feel good is that expression of gratitude and if you think about it you know you can you can thank people every day I could write you a thank you note for interviewing me <laughs> and um, it's like it's uh, it just it feels so good um, but I do think that there is something, I mean, the meditation, the, uh, shamatha, I think is how you pronounce it. The, um, the calming meditation that is about focusing on your breath. I do think that that produces a different, uh, a, 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 a different feeling. Um, and that's like a, a disciplined, calming and then uh you know concentration follows from that so um so yeah i do think you can live mindfully every second of the day i mean that's the challenge (laughs) you know there are there are endless opportunities like when you're doing the dishes you can do it mindfully you can do it with gratitude but um um but i mean it's hard (laughs) <laughs> right so happy to be doing the dishes this is great you know maybe not sure there's always a way to spin it there's a way to spin it <laughs> but yeah i think it's a muscle you can work on i think it's why totally. meditation yes really, you know to maintain that attitude of gratitude perspective that's right yeah. that's right i i think of it as it's exactly like physical exercise it's it's spiritual exercise is what it is and like that the more you put in the the uh uh, the bigger your spiritual muscles will be. You want bulging spiritual biceps. <laughs> uh, and that's, uh, you just got to put the time in. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you think that's hard when doing the dishes, when when bad things really do happen, it's the most valuable time to be able to do it. And yeah. You can carry that through on and be a lot better off for sure. Well, I mean, that's the thing too. I feel like uh, the more... The more you put in on that, the more resilient you will be. And like, you're, there's no way when you're faced with it's gonna get deep now. When you're faced with like death and loss, that you know, there's no amount of spiritual practice where you're like, oh, it's no big deal that <laughs> someone I love died because you know that's the way it is and everything is temporary. And but, um, but I do think that. The more grounded you are, the better able, the more prepared you are to, to deal with those types of things. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. 
What other questions do you have? I just want to say, and first, I, I certainly wasn't trying to say, don't try to cultivate that very intentional, traditional meditation. I'm just all about what's the lowest barrier to entry? What will get somebody into anything that starts giving themselves positive reinforcement? Absolutely. So if it's like, if you need to say, yeah, you're going to listen, you're going to do the dishes and just be in your own head and not distract yourself with a podcast or music. Although I highly recommend doing dishes while distracting yourself with this podcast. But, um, <laughs> right, right. But, you know, just, but meditate on this podcast. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. think deeply on it. No, I mean, I think po- podcasts are, are, are definitely a, such a life-changing medium. And I so highly recommend you starting one because I think it does get to people in an open state in a totally different way. Like a long-form conversation where they're not going to be responsible for responding mm-hmm. or they can just have a suspended state of of, of truly listening to something mm-hmm. that that can change your mind and in a totally different way than any other medium basically yeah i mean every other every other media has um you know when we when we're writing a piece it's like this is going to be 600 words it's going to be 900 words and um and and a lot of times there are uh, digressions that are really interesting that you have in an interview and you're like oh I can't really fit that into this piece it doesn't yeah. it doesn't make sense and I think over the over the period of uh, you know an hour or however long the podcast is it's like people interesting things are revealed I think yeah man digressions are the best part <laughs> yeah it's like open open ended what's yeah. that you get those little gems and you're like wow I would never have thought to have asked that or anything it just happens to or happen organically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What is the most annoying thing about people? Oh, boy. Let's see. Oh, man. What's annoying about people? Um, I mean, I guess that they think differently than I do. <laughs> For some reason, it's so annoying. They've come to different conclusions. Um, I'm still of the very unrealistic disbelief. I know it not to be true, but I still believe it to be true that people just haven't been given the right information because they would obviously draw the same conclusions as me if they right. had all the same information. If it only keeps on not working out that way, but I'm still yeah, convinced hold, they just hold don't on have to the that. Right yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I can think of. think i can think of behaviors that i find annoying but i don't know um i I can't think of like what people in general people um so uh to to get back to meditation to get back to buddhism um for just a second i would say that um prior to prior to thinking about how my mind worked it was racing all the time. I didn't know it. And um, and I didn't fully pay attention to all the things that were going on in my head. And once the, the idea of like calming your mind, taming your mind, I realized like how judgmental I was on a daily basis all the time. That I was walking down the street annoyed you know, like I said, with the SUV, like that was more like I was kind of aware of that thought, but I was annoyed that the person in front of me was walking slower than I wanted them to. 
and uh, had all sorts of judgments about about them, and um, you know, equally annoyed with the people who were walking too fast behind me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I would say that I've like I've, uh, and there's still like it's almost like I'm still discovering some of my thoughts. Oh yeah, um, that's a lifelong quest. It is a lifelong quest, but um, but I I don't think I would say. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can answer that question well. Those are good answers. Yeah. That, is that a? What are some past answers? Uh, I would say um, people's reactionary tendencies, where you're having a conversation with somebody and you're just thinking about the next thing rather than what you're saying and having an actual conversation. It's more just a bah, 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 especially about more emotionally driven topics. Mm-hmm. So what you were just saying, I would say that people's tendencies to, to not realize that they're just one actor in a play, that they're not the whole play, the, the director, the, their lead, the supporting cast. You don't have control over any of that. All you control is what you do. And, being annoyed by everything else that's out of your control is just a huge waste of energy. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult. It's difficult to constantly remind yourself of. And again, it goes back to practicing that. Like, especially there will be times where people are being more annoying than just walking the speed that you don't want them to walk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're not practicing in other, every other area, it's going to be harder to transfer that. Mm-hmm. And I think those are great answers. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? <laughs> Podcasts. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. How dare you? Um, uh, I don't know. I'm like, uh, I've made myself out of touch in a lot of ways. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I want to say cell phones. Um, but that's 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 totally wishful thinking right there. Um, what are people doing right now? I don't know. I was I was at a I was at something with my with my son. Um, he was getting his face painted at something at Clark Park or something like that. Um, it was an Easter egg Easter egg uh, hunt. And anyway, they had a they had a, a radio and a song comes on and and the woman says to my son like what. Uh, do you know, uh, do you know the song? And he said, no. And I said, I don't either. And she was like, you're probably the only two people here who don't know, uh, let it go from, uh, frozen. Uh, frozen. And, um, and like when it got to the hook, I was like, oh, I do know that. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I'm a huge music fan, but in a lot of ways I've divorced myself from popular culture and i mean having kids like i've seen i see like a movie a year and um and that's a weird thing too like being somebody who was like you know uh someone who's very interested in movies and now i don't i don't do it at all um you guys are asking tough questions. <laughs> we try. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, 
I, I partially don't know because I don't, I don't really know what people are doing. And uh, you know, like I, so the other day I looked at, uh, I looked at Instagram for the first time for a period of time. And it's like, this is a nightmare. Instagram is a nightmare. Like the videos, it's like, it is like a, uh, it's so rapid that you can't process anything. Um, they have tours now. They have Instagram tours that will shuttle you from one site to another site and give you about two minutes to get out, snap your Instagram picture, and then move on. How depressing is that? It's so weird. It's so weird. They're like hugely popular. This was yeah, we were just in Bali, and this was like the main thing. And we're like, what? Everywhere that? we've traveled, really, is it's the whole world seems to have turned into this Instagram culture. Of yeah. Like, you're not going to a beautiful waterfall to enjoy a beautiful waterfall. You're going to take a picture to put on your Instagram. Meanwhile, our parents and other people are always yelling at us for doing all of this travel and like never remembering to cut out our phones and take pictures. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like you go you go places to take pictures, but you also hang out with people to take pictures. So it's like you know, this is my beautiful family. This is you know, these are my friends. We're having a great time. Look at us. Look at this great meal I'm having. Yeah. And it's like it's this. Uh, uh, it's this spectacle. Who, who is this for? <laughs> who the, is this for? It's the yeah. ultimate, the ultimate goal. I don't know. Yeah, man, I've been trying really hard to do the social media hustle for this podcast, and it is definitely the most soul wrenching part of the whole thing. Yeah, I, I quit doing. Uh, I actually, I never, I never really did Facebook. Like, I made an account and then I didn't keep up with it, and then I deactivated it. Um, I don't know, eight years ago. Um, I have a Twitter account, which I have used like for two week periods and then I'll go like 18 months and not use it. <laughs> so, um, but you know, the, the, the trend obviously is this direction. So, um, so I have this conflict where um, the, the, the media world has moved on. I mean, I consume a lot of news online I you know read the New York Times and Washington Post and philly.com and um, more than I'd like in fact but um, uh, yeah it's I I don't like it yeah I don't like it I like I like the slowness of print and um, but I'm I'm conflicted because it's like it's less it's less relevant to you know when I'm taking the taking the trolley into work or you know the l it's or also when i'm biking and look at people in their cars everybody's looking at their phones you know whether they're driving or riding on the trolley everybody's looking at their phones and if you see somebody with uh something in print they're 60 years old <laughs> you know like you just don't see there isn't a single younger person with uh, a magazine in their so, um, I feel like maybe Philly's not trendy enough, definitely in New York City. I think it's probably it's like a, almost an even split because it's like it's so renegade to have a book in your hands, like, yes, you are the coolest person on that train, yeah. And then, but it also, I do think that that part of that, which is fine, is for is for the showmanship of being like that <laughs> basically social media approval of just like everyone on this train 
is going to know how great I am for picking up something. Yes. Again, that feeling of smugness and yeah. superiority. But, uh, and <laughs> also, it gets you to pick up a book. I'm fine with it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that they're all there. I mean, uh, I liked, I would always look at the books people were reading and surely I wanted people to see the books that I was reading because you're like, you know, you want someone to say, hey, I read that book. That was awesome. You're yeah. like, I remember like, you know, uh, driving with music really loud that I knew was just not popular where I lived. Like hoping, you know, probably as a teenager, I was hoping that some beautiful young woman was going to recognize my excellent taste in music. <laughs> Stop the car. Stop the Let car. Me in. Is that Guadalcanal Diary? Musical yeah. I've ever heard. Yes. You like that too? <laughs> Um, let's fall in love. Um, didn't happen. Uh, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, I do think that we kind of, that's like, that's like small scale social media. That's like a tiny broadcast. That's like, I like this. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, simpler and more immediate. Um, I think it's a pure form of social media, though, too. I mean, that's like you radiating who you are in hopes that somebody else will recognize that and see themselves in you and want to come closer to you. And then social media, you know, hasn't gotten to that conventional now social media hasn't gotten to that point, I don't think. I have high hopes for social media. I don't personally like it very much, but I see its potential and I hope that it, it matures into something that's more beneficial. Uh I really hope so. Otherwise, I also I love Instagram. I've been a fan of Instagram almost as long as it's existed. But I think that because I so totally cultivate what I'm seeing. I mean, on like my personal one, not on the podcast one. On that one, I'm I'm a little bit more in the sad chaos of it all. But for my personal one, I've always just followed other artists and people with who are sustainability people, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a constant source of inspiration for art and sustainability. I'm just always, it's always happy and inspiring. And it's like a great way to check in of like, Oh, what are, what is some individual action that people who I think are interesting are doing today? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it has potential. But... I don't think most people are cultivating their Instagram feeds like that either, but no, I think they're like, no. maybe they need to start teaching it in school, like responsible social media use. <laughs> Because, I mean, I, I, I feel lucky that we didn't really have any of it until I was probably old enough to at least realize that maybe I don't want to post too much. And even that, I was still probably, like, way too vocal. And, yeah. You know, I'm sure if I looked back on my early post, I'd be mortified about. Yeah. That's, I, uh, thankfully, am way too old <laughs> for that to have been an issue. And I think about that. Like, I think about the person who I was when I was a teenager and like how, how I would have wanted attention and like, like I'm sure that I would have written things that I would deeply regret really. (laughs) And, you know, cause I would have, I would have wanted to be edgy. I would have wanted to, um, uh, to show people how, how smart I and, and, uh, insightful, and nihilistic I was. Yeah. And um, that's uh, that's best not immortalized. <laughs> that's best grown out of. Yeah. 
Yeah, can you imagine what like presidential elections will look like in 30, 40 years from now? When you can look, well, when you were 18, you said, it'll be interesting. Well, yeah, and some people have said that it'll be a great leveler because everybody will have their digital skeletons. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we don't put our kids on social media. We don't put we don't put photos of our kids up there. And um, we're sure that they're either going to be uh, uh, mad at us or uh, happy about it. They're going to be like, why is there no, you know, why does, why does everybody have this, like, great documentation of their lives on Facebook and we've got nothing? Um but I just, I just don't think it's fair to the kids. Like they don't have a choice. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's not like there are a few images we go to visit the, you know, you know, my my mom and she takes pictures and puts them on Facebook. But like, very, very few. Just like, uh, yeah, just like all the other things that go on there, whether it's the TV watching or the uh, candy or whatever it's just like well it happens for two days every four or five months you know do the best that you can yeah it's a good policy what's your favorite thing about yourself oh uh my favorite thing about myself uh um so i I have a uh, uh, a bad reputation. Um, my wife will attest to this, and um, and uh, the, uh, my other friend, who I've actually mentioned a few times, but not um, he's he's a guy who publishes a magazine here, or who uh, is the editor in chief of a magazine, a heavy metal magazine we do called Decibel, and we've been working together for uh, over twenty years. But anyway, he. We would go places, and um, and he, I would always get myself into conversations, and um, and Albert would just sort of like sit there, um, waiting somewhat patiently, impatiently, like how how did you wind up in this conversation? And then right when he thought it was going to end, it would kick into another gear. So he started. Uh, referring to me as the great engager the engager and um and now my wife is also uh, a victim of this habit that i have of not knowing how to end a conversation (laughs) and um so so that's the the negative side i i like that i feel comfortable connecting with people in a lot of different ways and circumstances like i like I like that um, that I'm able to to do that because um, you know I think there's everybody has a lot of things in common and if you have and I have uh, uh, I have some interests that I think make it uh, you know uh, like I follow sports so I can automatically connect with anybody who likes sports but um, but other things too and I think if you ask if you ask good questions, then um, then you can make those uh, those connections. So, um, so what's the answer that I gave? What's your favorite thing about yourself? Yeah, the, um, that uh, that I talk too much, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a beautiful answer. Thank you.
especially somebody who struggles because i don't like sports i don't like a lot of the common small talk things that mm-hmm. might like that can lead to other deeper conversations and i'm introverted so it's difficult for me to like like i wish i had that more see i'm introverted too uh i i i would i, I definitely prefer smaller groups uh and i I will at times avoid social situations, but, uh, and then once I'm in them, I want to lock in with a person. Like I don't like, I don't like mingling. Uh, and, uh, and I think, I think the thing that I do, I think I reveal a lot about myself quickly and like, that's where, uh, and then, you know, when you're a parent, you can you can talk to any parent because everybody has the same struggles. So it's like, um, and, and I know these are, yeah, if you have a parent, if, if you're a parent and, or if you have a parent, you know, it's like there, there are all these things that, uh, that connect us. And if, uh, um, uh, if you start talking and revealing yourself and listening, You should definitely start a podcast. Yeah. You know, I I love I love interviewing people. I really do. Yeah, that that's been it's been especially traveling and being able to pull just the most fascinating people that we find and be like, hey, what is come hang out with us for a few hours? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been it's been miraculous. It's... Oh, miraculous! That's well, I mean, it's like that's the thing. It's like when you have something, and I'd say this about grid is like it's opened the doors to talk to these fascinating people mm-hmm. and and um and now that we're we've been around for a while it's like you pick up the phone and people will they'll do the things that you want them to do and um and that's uh that's uh it's really cool it's like um access to interesting people is is really uh, uh it's really fun it's energizing yeah Thank you for coming in. Yeah. Oh, it's been a <laughs> my pleasure. Um, and I can tell you, uh, you know, I should just give you my Rolodex of uh, interesting you know, people. I know. Yeah, I wish 30, we were in, in Philly longer. I would love to get in contact with uh, a lot of the people. Well, we'll be back so next far. summer to get married, so we'll uh, we'll have a lineup. That so is awesome. And off. yeah, you should talk to Judy Wicks. She'll We'd blow love, your yeah. mind. She's yeah. the best. Yeah, that, would, that would be amazing. Yeah. We've had some pretty cool, awesome sustainability people and a few more lined up during our America journey, though. Yeah, I'm happy that's been, and that seems to have coincided with a lot of, I'd say, positive, if if you consider some EU countries ringing the energy climate bell. (laughs) Positive news, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure, I think attention to to acknowledging the problem that it's going to be very much here whether or not we acknowledge it i think acknowledging it is definitely positive i agree (laughs) all right what is the most embarrassing story before age 10 that you remember or before puberty maybe we should just change it early childhood embarrassment it's what we strive for here (laughs) oh boy um hmm i mean the one that i'm going to is uh is a shame one yeah. Do we do a shame one? Of course. So uh, in second grade, I was uh, 
I was a, a pretty well-behaved kid. Um, and, um, but when, when kids didn't, uh, when kids misbehaved, the teacher would put their, uh, I can't believe I'm telling the story, uh, that they would, they would put their initials on the chalkboard, like you misbehaved today. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the three times that year that that happened to me, um, during recess, I, when the teacher was gone, I erased my initials from the chalkboard and I put somebody else's there. I put Gary Glazer, GG. I hope Gary's doing well. Sorry, Gary. Uh, I put his initials up there. Um, and, uh, but then it was like, uh, I couldn't, um, I couldn't commit the crime without drawing attention to it. So I, I raised my hand and I said, uh, spoil, isn't that G a little sloppy there? And so she fixed it. And I said, the other one too. And then she remembered that it was me. She erased the GG and put the AM that rightfully belonged up there. So, um, so yeah, I still feel very bad about that. (laughs) I feel like your conscience didn't let you get away with feeling bad about it. No. You, you needed to get caught I had to return to the scene of the crime, yeah. the chalkboard with my <laughs> my my initials Aww. of shame. But that's why I don't think it's a good idea to do those things to kids anyway. Yeah, man, that's yeah. intense. It is intense. It's totally intense. Yeah. I, I think of like, yeah, like a very good kid. But the few times where I was like, punished in childhood or told I was a bad kid I don't think I'll ever forget them no, I remember you don't. all of them 100% clarity more than I remember like, yeah everything. yeah there's a, a at the school where my son goes they have this system where um, everybody has a card and it's on green but if you misbehave you uh, you're told to change your card and you have to walk up and change your card from green to yellow and there's a then it's to orange and then it's to red and then I think you're uh, sent to the principal or maybe executed. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's like that public shaming yeah. is uh, it's so intense. And fortunately, that hasn't happened to my son this year. But at the same time, he's come home upset where he's like, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say his name. I won't say his name because I'm not going to permanently shame him. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, B got uh, uh, his card turned today and he cried and um, you know he's a good guy that shouldn't happen to him that shouldn't happen to anybody and I'm like yes that should not happen to anybody Uh, but yeah so those are my that's my initials my embarrassing you know it's more shame than embarrassment I guess but same same it's yeah it's close enough yeah yeah, I, it's, it's so confusing. I mean, like, you're supposed to listen to authority figures growing up and, like, they're right. And to question that is, like, what well, what do I do now if you yeah. if you start questioning that? But to feel so totally confident in your gut, like, I don't think they should be doing this to us. Like, this doesn't seem good. Yeah. But then that's that's a, yeah, it's an intense thought train to go down as a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's intense. And, um and you know, I think I think all kids are pretty sensitive. There's a spectrum yeah. for sure, and um, uh, 
and and I think that when you know you might be the person who is shamed or you might uh, might be friends with them or whatever it's like it's it's a it's very powerful and um, and I think people underestimate what they the damage that they do. I was like, how do you underestimate that? Don't you remember what happened to you in your childhood? Is this just all vengeance for like you had to go through it? Let's let's keep it going or um, Yeah. Well yeah. I mean I think I think people are like, Well, I turned out okay, you know. So it's sort of like well despite my scars. Yeah. On our uh, our last interview we were told a story of a village in Africa where the way they deal with problems is when somebody, you know, misbehaves or whatever the thing may be they make that person sit in the middle of a circle of like the most of the people in the village and they all go around and say something they love about that person that's great (laughs) that is great i would love to see that institutionalized i think that would be fascinating to see how how that generation would grow up yeah yeah what's those it's those positive things that you do on a regular basis that like that build all that up. Yeah. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, punishment isn't what makes you aware of right or wrong or guilt or any of these things. Like usually you, you know, when you're doing something that doesn't feel good inside, like at, at, at basically any age, I mean, some things you need to be taught, but like, yeah, I don't think punishment is what actually makes people, aware or change to be good it's mm-hmm. i think definitely the being reminded of all of the good things that you are and all of your strengths seems like a lot more likely that you're gonna get, then live up to that rather than being told you're bad you're shameful we're ostracizing yeah. you yep. that the, the, then you just feel desperate and alone and more inclined to be like no 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 would act crazy to you're also the victim of uh not having power yeah so it's kind of like the uh the answer to that then is to get power and um and when um you're teaching when you're teaching punishment like that's that is then or threats that's what your child is going to use so that's not the um that's not the example that you want to that you want to set it's hard. Perhaps you'll find out one day. <laughs> well, definitely in our commune, we're going to have the, the circle of positive reinforcement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's. I would definitely adopt that. Uh, I also, you, you somehow find more time to do things like listen to music and podcasts than I do. I don't know how exactly that works out. You, you're on Reddit all the time. That's and true. And I, um, yeah, I got to stop that. <laughs> it's a new habit, too. And I just I got bit by that Reddit bug. Developed the Reddit. Yeah, it's bad. It comes for us all eventually. I've been there. That's why I. You're on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a a recovered Reddaholic. (laughs) What are you looking at on Reddit these days? Science. Today I learned is really one that I like. Um, Shower thoughts. Shower thoughts. Although I'm kind of out. It's it's getting derivative now. I'm like, people are stupid. I don't want to hear your stupid shower thoughts. (laughs) So I'm getting pessimistic about it all. This is how I know it's time to put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, political, political humor. That's how I get my news now. It's like, oh, wow, I can see where this conversation is going to go. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm adv- and throughout this conversation, I've advocated for a lot of like shades of gray change, 
we're pretty we we enjoy big black and white sweeping changes we'll be like get to a point of being like and then we'll just like completely change our life one day and then stick to that for a while we like in order to get incremental change we like to be like all right completely new life today and then do that yeah <laughs> it seems to work so that's why we're like all right when we get back to thailand we're doing this thing with the phones. We're going to lessen Reddit and Instagram. We're going to meditate every day. And, yeah. And then that'll probably ultimately lead to a healthy balance three months down the road. One of the things that when we moved to Thailand that Jen had to convince me of was that not reading the news every day was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that was tough. That was really tough for me. Uh, you know, I felt especially felt being ethically removed, irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. That like I had this obligation to stay informed. But in reality, if something big happened, I'd know about it. Yeah. That was my my quality of life increased from not reading. The absolutely, news. absolutely, it does. Shocking. Yeah. No, I've I've certainly gone I've gone on media fasts, and um, uh, in particular, I did not follow the 2016 election, uh, and um, because every time I got like even a small dose of. Uh, Donald Trump, I was appalled and I didn't want to feel that way all the time. Um, and I wasn't super excited about Hillary Clinton. Um, I was excited about Bernie Sanders. So am I. So, uh, 2020. 2020. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it is, uh, it's amazing how, it's amazing how that influences your life. So down to like, I mean, inconceivable ways. Like I didn't realize how much it permeated through my entire existence. Of mm-hmm. Like just, it was really great to get out. Yeah. I need to get back there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Now that we've been back in America, all, all of these stressors and, and not being. Oh my God, going over to my mother's house who watches cable news. Twenty four seven. I mean, it's just like I wouldn't be able to tolerate it. I don't know how. The mental health of our nation is. I never watched cable news. I mean, I might watch Rachel Maddow every now and then, but I, no, I read. I read my news. I, I can't do cable twenty four hour news cycles. It drives me insane. All right. What is the most environmentally friendly thing you do and the most environmentally friendly thing you would like others to do? Oh, let's see. Well, you know, um, we compost here at the office. We have, uh, we have, uh, we don't have paper towels. We have cloth, uh, towels for people to dry their hands. Um, let's see. Uh, I love that you're not saying, oh, I started a fucking magazine about sustainable <laughs> living. You're like, well, oh, yeah, you know, the towels. The towels. The, 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 well, I think you're underestimating yourself so, a little bit here. Thank you. But I mean, what I've always thought about with Grid is like, we are the, uh, we like have the spotlight. So we shine the spotlight on people. Mm-hmm. And I do think that has a, a value. Absolutely. But, um, but that's, uh, but I feel like the things that people are actually doing, we're just documenting what they're doing. So um, yeah, but that's huge. Raising the cultural consciousness and exposing people to information. I mean, like 
yeah leading leading by example in yourself is great showing people all of these examples in one dose that's incredible thank you thank you that's <laughs> nice of you to say you know i i think the the other thing and this will go circle way back to when we were talking about despair uh i wish i wish people fully understood the impact of of uh of things for example that use palm oil mm-hmm. that is like devastating devastating the rainforest i had never heard of that until a year ago when you had mentioned it yeah he was like he he just casually said something like i cannot believe that you don't eat nutella like like your standards of whatever like organic food i was like no it's not about organic it's about palm oil like they're 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 one of like the huge palm oil users and there's alternatives and i i will not support palm oil i will go out of my way i will not it's really eat. disappointing because you and know how much then, crap has palm oil in it all of it yeah, yeah. it's and ridiculous then, yeah started telling him about what goes on he's like what how do i not know about this yeah, well shocked. that's the thing like how do all of us not know about it and it's like uh uh it's it's something that you have to discover through research and like um you know, I have like these mini, mini traumas every Halloween. And again, this is like the, the dichotomy. It's like you want your kid to have this normal life. Yeah. And it's like it's a it's a nice thing to go to your neighbors. But they're buying all of this food with, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups. I love them. They've got palm oil. Um, and uh, there's awesome alternatives. The, um there is chocolate that doesn't have palm oil um but it's uh but yeah it's like it's this if people if people knew that their electronics were um killing uh gorillas i think in orangutans or gorillas i think it's gorillas in um uh somewhere in Southeast Asia where it's uh, people have to mine, they have to mine and then they're not fed. So they're eating. I'm pretty sure it's gorillas like into extinction. So um, I wish, I wish that there was, uh, I wish that there was a greater understanding because I, I also, I don't think that we can't have the things that we have. Yeah, totally. But I think we can't have as much as we have. And um, I don't think we don't need as much as we have. I mean, if if instead of like a standard block, we all have lawns, if they only had one lawnmower for seven people and you just picked a day to use the lawnmower, that cuts down seven, the need to make six lawnmowers. I mean, I think there's a way to organize society and, and, and that we can all have everything we need with a very minimal amount of foregoing of pleasures and comforts. Yeah. Maybe not exactly the second that you want it. Yeah. Maybe there's a, oh, the lawnmower is being used from 10 to 2 today. I need to, uh, you know, do it tomorrow or whatever. But it's like, uh, yeah, when I think about, when when you think about, you know, I'm in, I'm in a row home and there are all these houses that are exactly the same shape. And, um, and they also have, the exact same contents like everybody has their toolbox and their power you know their power tools and um uh all of the 
all the things that they got from their wedding registry. You know, how many, how many, uh, um, I can't think of like a good example of a, how many ice cream makers <laughs> are on the, on the block? Yeah. You know, um, how many do we need? So, yeah, I do think if they're like, there's a, a, a creative way, but it goes, it's against, it's against capitalism. That's what I was going to say. And that's the, you know, can you imagine if we reduced how many ice cream makers were bought to one tenth? I mean, that lays off a bunch of people and that, that's people's livelihoods. Yeah. I mean, but maybe it doesn't because yeah. it's a good question. How many, how many people are actually employed from that? Um, and, and that's, I just think we have to rethink what, what employment is and what jobs are. Totally. You know, that's the, uh, yeah. And I mean, yeah, and you could, yeah, I think there's, it's a, a shifting of values would open up different new, better jobs. Mm-hmm. Or jobs that you just worked less at because you didn't need the extra money to buy that ice cream machine in the yeah. first place. Right. Because it was in some shared place that you had access to. Mm-hmm. We have one final question. Oh boy. I bet you it's a doozy. <laughs> Why do people do small talk? Oh, that's uh, that's easy to create <laughs> connection. They um, they do small talk because, uh, well, I think first they feel uncomfortable in silence uh, unless you know somebody well. You there's a level of discomfort, and um, and so I think it's. Uh, it's to alleviate both your discomfort and somebody else's. It's about making a connection with someone and um, finding something, even if it's insignificant, that links you and makes you makes you the same, connects you. That's why I think people do small talk. It's a very sweet, optimistic answer. I like it. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was neither of us are particularly fond of the traditional small talk of getting in an elevator. Oh, yeah, it's it's sunny outside. The weather is doing something. Yes. Yes. It's kind of just like this forced, awkward conversation that doesn't really have any substance or value and wondering why that was so prevalent and how that can change or be made better. Well, yeah. I mean, how do you go beyond small talk if it's if it's just if it's just the weather? I mean, you can. It's like, oh, it sure is hot out. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, like, good. You've got uh, that. That makes people feel good on a small level. But um, but how do you how do you how do you get beyond that to to the opposite of small talk? As I think. Your catchphrase is yes. Or your slogan is. <laughs> I'm glad you remember. Our solution is you start a podcast. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I mean, it's like it takes time. Yeah. The elevator has to break down. I, I like yeah. what you said about uh, revealing a bit of yourself. I think that's an important. You have to take the first step and and be a little vulnerable, and then people respond in kind. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so because it's like the the. The worries that you have and you know i see it more as i get older it's like uh you know you worry about your kids you worry about your parents so um and everybody has 
everybody has some version of that and everybody wants what's best for their kids even if they they are doing diametrically opposed you know <laughs> some people are like cry it out they need to you know they need to uh, learn how to fall asleep and other people are like uh, I'm going to sleep with my kid till they're 25 <laughs> to give them the comfort and love that they need and um, but everybody's trying to do what's best for their kid so um, so you know, that common theme to connect on. The and common even if theme. you're going about it different ways, exactly. The theme is still the same. Yeah, and everybody's trying to, trying to, everybody's trying to be happy. So, that's the. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. People are people, and everybody's just trying to be happy. Everybody's trying to be. Well, we'd like to thank you so much for taking the time. This has been <laughs> this has been wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. I. Um, you know, I listened. Uh, I listened to um, uh, part of the reforestation. Um, Wes's episode. Yeah, and, and, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, and it's like it's really interesting and like having these long, even, but yeah, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, and um, uh, we'll get back in touch after I read uh, the four hour. Is that what it was? Four hour work. Oh, no, no. And how to change your mind. How to change your mind after I read Michael Pollan. All right. Yes. Good. All right. Uh, Plug plug everywhere we can uh, find Grid and how to support it and all that. Oh, well, it is in 450 locations in the greater Philadelphia area. Uh, But we do desperately need subscribers. So uh, if you go to gridphilly.com, you can subscribe there. I mean, the. the the model for print advertising has been really uh challenged and um so we're really counting on readers to to help uh keep us going the response has been good but we definitely need a lot more so um yeah please uh please check it out we want to keep doing what we're doing well all right so alex how should how should we do our sign off okay listen um i think for a smooth sign off what you want to do is uh, want to thank your guest, um, and, which you were you've been doing periodically throughout this whole thing. <laughs> I feel the gratitude, but uh, um, I think it should be uh, um, thank you so much. Uh, it's been great talking with you. Uh, our guest today on uh, occasionally interesting has been Alex Mulcahy, the founder of Grid Magazine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Be sure to check out uh, his. Uh, magazine online or subscribe and um, we'd like to thank you the listeners for tuning in to our 15th uh, episode or whatever number we're on (laughs) and uh, we'll be back again next week Uh, and don't forget uh, all the things that we talked about today all the books they'll be available uh, at our uh, Amazon store so be sure there's a lot of great books that we talked about um, uh, you'll be happy you read them and you'll be supporting our wonderful podcast. <laughs> so thank you and we'll talk to you next week. That was beautiful. Uh, All right, good. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to we're just going to plug your voice in every episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can you can call me and do it. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs>